we kneel at the manger of some refugees uh, only to say to other refugees, there's no room at the inn. And so Dr. King said that there's hope if we can remember that we actually belong to each other. And I think there's hope for the planet if that is also true, because perhaps we'd also pay different kinds of attention to our resources and our, our living, uh, living wages, uh, health insurance. I mean, right down the line, I mean, if, if these are our hopes, then the, the public policy unfolds, you know, uh, from those points. This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Welcome to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. I'm your host, Melissa Rao, and this is a conversation inspired by Bishop Wright's Four Faith weekly devotion sent out every Friday. You can find a link to this week's Four Faith and a link to subscribe in the episode's description. Good day, Bishop. Yes, ma'am. This week's devotion is in honor of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And you distilled a handful of reasons Dr. King gave us to be steadfastly hopeful. Yeah. And I'm sure you could have gone with a number of themes to pay tribute to the fine living example that was MLK Jr. So why hope and why now? Well, I mean... Well, I appreciate the question. One, you know, one, I want to say how much I, I love to dig into the into the sort of gift bag that is Dr. King's genius, his theological imagination, uh, his bright mind. Uh, it just it, it's 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 a shame that we just don't teach him more. And, and we, we sort of keep him in the ghetto of January, you know, his, his birth month. Um, this is a significant intellect. Um, a significant theological intellect, um, someone who was a, a lifelong learner um, and uh, someone who was a flawed human being, and yet someone that God used, uh, and, and, and extraordinarily so. So I, I'm a big fan. I mean, one of the uh, great hallmarks of my time is, in Atlanta is to be able to be friends with some of the people who were his friends. Uh, and to and to learn and sit at their feet and 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 listen and so I think Dr. King is always a, a study for us and I, if you haven't really read him beyond sort of the, the handful of of, uh, of uh, sermons you you really ought to to see that what this son of the South uh, uh, had to say to the soul of America and not only the soul of America but to the soul of the planet. Um, and, and so, but, but, but more specifically, you know, why did I, I say why hope is because I, I think as I talk to people, um, I, I, I'm always trying to hear what part of the gospel message needs to be applied right now. I mean, I, I guess I've been trying to be a pastor long enough in my life that I'm, I'm trying to hear, you know, what, you know. What portion? Um, what emphasis? Uh, uh, you know, and and I, like you and others, are, I'm watching the news, and uh, you know, I see the senseless murders in Idaho, and you know, and the and the the sort of gentleman who who uh, uh, took up a machete in Times Square, and you know, I'm seeing all the senselessness, and I'm 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 concerned uh, when I look at you know. 
uh, the, our population, our planet population, and, and what kind of food resources we're going to need. And I mean, I get concerned about the, the plastic in the ocean and all those sorts of things. And, and, you know, I'm also in contact with my own kids who are young adults, and they're asking their own questions in earnest. And I think, I think we as the followers of Jesus, the friends of Jesus, have always got to be trying to answer the question, you know, what reason is there to hope? I mean, what is the substance of the Christian hope? I mean, is it pie in the sky, by and by? Is it, you know, kumbaya? What is the substance of this thing? Does it have any rigor and depth? Uh, is, it, is it for smart people or, or is it for people who just want a lullaby, lullaby? What is this thing? And so, you know, I, I think that King says that. I mean, King, King makes, you know, and these are just a few points I pulled. I mean, we could have, that could have been a dissertation here. Um, you know, number one, you know, his point is we should have hope because God is sovereign. And, and that, and then why we want to venerate the billionaires and the nation states, ultimately, ultimately they will not have the last word. Ultimately, this is the, this is, you know, point number one, the source of the Christian hope, the source of our hope as believers that we share with others is, is that we believe that God is sovereign and that God in God's time will have God's way. And that everything that is inferior to love will crack and crumble. This is what we believe. This is what we believe. And we ought to ask ourselves, do we believe that? Um, and so I think that, number one, uh, King said, believed that God was sovereign. And that gave him the ability to say to a nation that he loved and that, give it, that afforded him opportunities, uh, as limited as they were you know, in his growing up in the segregated South, that, that ultimately— that uh, America could change, the world could change, new opportunities could happen if we bent ourselves towards the sovereignty of God. Um, and he also believed that he had to say words like that to presidents. He had the ear of presidents uh, and, and real power brokers, and he had to remind them that there is one power greater than you. And it's interesting to read him and see how respectful that he is. I mean, I was talking to uh, Ambassador Young some time ago, and he was really taken aback by how disrespectful uh, many of the clergy were to political uh, leaders, e even though the political leaders, it seemed, had gone off the rails in lots of ways. And he reminded us that Dr. King always stayed uh, respectful, but he nevertheless found a way to remind political leaders of both parties that at the end of the day, God was sovereign and they were not, and they would be held accountable for their actions uh, and, they, and their omissions. So the, the number one, you know, what is central to us as believers is, is that we believe that God is sovereign. And for Christians, of course, uh, that is embodied in one sublime act, which is, is that when we did our worst to Jesus, we lynched him in front of his mother. We brutalized him. We put him underground and covered him with a rock and stationed guards outside. God nevertheless found a way to get up on that third day, uh, still with the wounds, but nevertheless, he had defied our very best efforts. So that's, a, that's, what, that's sort of the Polaroid for us of God's sovereignty. Well, gosh, that was a big one. I was going to say, what's your favorite? But clearly, <laughs> clearly God is sovereign is maybe yeah. the most important, right? Yeah. And so, which leads me to a question. How do you then hold in tension the fact that we are Christian believers in a country that is not just a Christian country? Yep. yep. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about it. Uh, think about it that way. I mean, I don't think that Jesus ever argued for or, or you know, that we were supposed to be over and against, that, that, that Christian was supposed to be, you know, sort of uh, the stripe on our chest or, or you know, sort of some sort of military uniform uh, where we were supposed to keep everybody else in order. I don't subscribe to that Christianity. Uh, you know, Jesus found a way to distinguish himself in Galilee. Uh, obviously, he, Jesus was not a Christian, but he, he distinguished himself uh, among uh, a population that was not all Jewish. Uh, by his kindness, by his candor, uh, by the works of power that he did, by the wonderful ways that he spoke about the inclusive, radical nature of a loving God. He distinguished himself in those ways. And as, as Howard Thurman has taught us, you know, your Christianity should be distinguished by how, by how God puts you beside people, not over and against people. I think if we're honest, our over and against nature, uh, you know, has a sort of very thin Christian veneer. It's more ego than it is Jesus. Uh, and so our presiding bishop is right. If it ain't about love, it ain't about God. And so I, I think how we distinguish ourselves uh, in a in a uh, wildly diverse religious world or no uh, religion at all is by staying true to what we believe is our vocation. And our vocation is to make real the love of God in all the world. And 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 I think that still. Uh, there's no date. There's no date expiration on that. I think that still is our purpose in the world: is to still make the love of God known uh, that we've experienced in Jesus Christ in the world. And the truth of the matter is, the people are still a- animated by the thought of Jesus. You know, he's still an enigmatic fi- figure that people want to know. It's the church people have problems with. It's our falling short that people struggle with. Jesus, they they think is real cool. Us, not so much. Right. Well, and we are a human family. So that's the fourth point that you made. Yeah. Right? So we are all interconnected, regardless of whether or not we worship the same way or yeah. et cetera. And so, yeah. and that so interconnectedness number, is important. And so, so, so we are a human family. That's why we should have hope. In other words, we are deeply connected. We belong to one another. And, and what I like about that is, is that, um, you know, today, and we've talked about this before, you know, in our, our sort of immigration situation here. I mean, if we are a human family, do we ship people off and do we ship them on buses all around the country uh, like political pawns or do we find some way? And so this is the deep water for the, you know, for the dedicated smart people. You know, do we find do we find a way to affirm their dignity and at the same time try to fix a broken system? See, I believe that we actually can secure our borders and not treat people like trash. I actually believe we can do that. And I know that there are smart people in this country. I believe in this country. There are smart people in this country who can thread that needle. But unfortunately, we've gone for the political red meat on both sides. Rather than, you know, so when Dr. King says that we are a human family, that's actually quite hopeful because it rescues us from really one-dimensional ways to solve complex problems. Right? So if I hold intention with any solution that I come up with that you are my sister, and that is irreducible. Then now I have, there's a hope. It's hard, but I have a hope now, you know, for a better world. I have a hope that let's try to figure this out. And, you know, I mean, we forget that Jesus and his mother and his father were actually refugees. And so uh, so we, we kneel at the manger of some refugees uh, only to say, you know, to other refugees, there's no room at the inn. I mean, it's a, it's a tragic reenactment, isn't it? 
Uh, and uh, I think we can be better than that. And so Dr. King said that there's hope if we can remember that we actually belong to each other. And I think there's hope for the planet if that is also true, because perhaps we'd also pay uh, different kinds of attention to our resources, right? And our, our living, uh, living wages, uh, health insurance. I mean, right down the line, I mean, if, if these are our hopes, then the, the public policy unfolds, you know, uh, from those points. Well, uh, your last point is love will have the last word, and we're going to get to that after this short break. Hi, listeners. Thank you for listening to Four People, a space of digital evangelism. You can keep up with us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. And now back to Four People. Welcome back to Four People. Bishop, um, in, a, in a very recent episode, I think it was called Intervened, it dropped on the 30th of December in 2022. Um, you talked about, we were talking a little bit about love and how you talked about Jesus being a threat. And I brought up how Malcolm X and Martin Luther King really spoke truth to power. Um, and then you proceeded to call Martin Luther King sweet. <laughs> like... And I'm reading some of his quotes and I don't know that they are sweet. Um, and yet he did some incredible, important things. You talked about Jesus being a threat to the status quo and a threat to the powers that be, and it got him killed. And Martin Luther King Jr. was a real threat to some people and it got him lynched. It got him murdered. And so I'm wondering, I'm curious about uh, how do we live like a threat <laughs> Does that even make sense? No, um, you're, you're making such a good point. Let me tell you the point you, you, that you're making that you may not even realize that you're <laughs> making, right? So some of these amazing world changers have actually been the sweetest people that you could ever meet. Yeah. Right? And so here's an example. So Desmond Tutu, um, it's quite amazing that Desmond Tutu got out alive, you know, uh, it, because of some of the things that he did, you know, the, the mobilization of people. Uh, but he did it, you know, thinking about nonviolence. He did it uh, affirming even the dignity of his of his enemies. And I, I'm reminded of uh, of a sermon that he gave the year after 9-11 at the Washington National Cathedral. And what Desmond Tutu was able to say uh, in that in that sermon was extraordinary. Uh, and I think if I would have said the very same words, I think they would have had, you know, security cart me away or, you know, the, the crowd would have tried to stomp me to death. But Desmond Tutu, because he loved so deeply and people heard the love, was able to say to the Washington National Cathedral and an audience, you know, listening from beyond that place, that because of 9-11, now America knows uh, what it's like that, the, you know, what the rest of the world goes through regularly. I mean, so, so, so this is actually a gift to be cultivated that only some people have, which is the, the ability to tell the truth in love. And I, and I, think, I think that it's something that I personally uh, would say that I have not achieved yet. Um, but I, I, think it's, I think it's something that Dr. King and, and some others have been able to say. And, and there are maybe even grandmothers who have ma mastered that, that, uh, that gift who are listening here. Uh, which is the ability to find a way to say what is true, but to not condemn, to not have a, a condemnation bone in your body. And, and so when I say that Dr. King was sweet um, and, and dangerous, 
uh, he just follows suit from from others and others follow suit from him. But they have this ability to look into your face and love you. I mean, the Bible tells us that Jesus was able to look into the people's faces and love them and nevertheless, nevertheless say to them, but friend, you're going the wrong way. And, and, and Jesus says, oh, I wish I could gather you under my wings. These are words of love. Um, and, and so, and so I, think, I think sometimes we give in uh, uh, to, to uh, condemnation or, or our words are seasoned with condemnation where some people are able to. And so let me just say, let me, let me just say something about that, because that goes to the point number two. You know, uh, as, 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 you know, Dr. King was killed April 4th, 1968. Uh, and April 4th, 1967, he gave his longest speech at the Riverside Church in New York City. And, and, and I was so struck, uh, you know, in reading that again, because it's, it's in that, excuse me, in that sermon that he says that I have been moved to break the betrayal of my own silence. And to speak from the burnings of my own heart. You know, I I think if we're going to tell the truth in love and if we're actually going to mobilize other people, we can't mobilize them uh, uh, over and against that, that, you know, we we can't send the the message to them that we are somehow uh, elite spiritual athletes and they are not. And we've come to get them in order. Dr. King is saying to the nation that my I've just uh, become very clear now that my own silence on the matter of the Vietnam War has been a betrayal. Now I need to correct that with you. And I'm inviting you to join me in that regard. So this is one of the ways that we can share love and also find truth is, is that we, we talk about our own collusion with things that are not a part of God's will for us. Um, we talk about our own journey. Again, I've said it before, I'll say it again. This is why I love uh, the AA community uh, because everybody starts off uh, with the same title. I am, you know, I'm an alcoholic. Um, you know, some of us have had more days of sobriety. Some of us have had less days of sobriety, but we are all the same thing. And, and so, so King hoped and he invited us to hope because he believed that the Holy Spirit does cause growth in us. And, and you and I can get aligned with God's truth in our life. And when we do that, one of the great indicators of that is, is that we don't slam other people around. We, we, we find some elasticity in the way that we deal with other people because we ourselves uh, have been part of the problem uh, heretofore. Okay. So my follow-up question to all of that wisdom is <laughs> <laughs> how do you do that then in relationship with people when you're saying truth and love, you're really speaking lovingly, you're speaking directly, you're speaking provocatively. And yet you can't control the way the other person across from you right. translates right. what you're saying to them because of their own woundedness. Right. How do you do that? Well, I mean, again, let's, let's not hy- be hypothetical here. Let, let's, let's, since it's, we're talking about Dr. King, you know, point number three, why should we have hope? Why? Because exemplary Christian living changes things, mm. right? It is not my job to change you. It is my job to live true to the purpose that I believe I'm called to, and that is to live for Jesus Christ. It, it is my, that is my calling. My calling is not to make you agree with me. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think what worries me is, is that we've gotten in the forced agreement business, I think, in the church or, you know, that is not our business. I can't make you agree with me by force of logic, you know, on the Second Amendment or the First Amendment or whatever it is. That's not my job. That wasn't what Jesus did. What Jesus did was works of power. Right. He did works of love, works of kindness. He went places where other people didn't go. He went places where other clergy people didn't go. I mean, he Mm -hmm. distinguished himself in that way. And so I think there's a great liberty here that we're missing out on, which is, look, we can cross swords all day long on Facebook or Instagram about the latest headlines or about what Elon Musk is doing or not doing. And Kim Kardashian, God bless them all. (laughs) Right. At the end of the day. Who the hell cares, right? Who the hell cares? At the end of the day, I mean, I don't see Jesus preoccupied, you know, with the rough, with the, with the, you know, the sort of occupying force headlines. Right. I mean, I don't see Jesus saying to the disciples, did you see the headline this morning? You know, what yeah. I, what I, I see Jesus about the business of feeding and teaching and getting alongside the sick and those with pre-existing conditions. I see him trying to reach out to the church. Uh, through sound teaching and acts. Uh, I mean, this is this is where I think we've got to get back to all the people that I think we could agree on who have been formative Christian examples for us have not been people who played whack-a-mole with the headlines. Yeah, because they just, I mean, I guess maybe it's, they just didn't care. Like, no, they didn't give a damn about the people who weren't getting on with the program, right? They just did it. They They did it. If God is sovereign, and I believe God is, and if I believe, and I do believe that love will have the last word, then what I've got to be doing is I've got to be paying attention to what is eternal and not temporal. Now, some people say that, and they, what they mean is, is that I don't, I'm not going to say anything about the world. I don't mean that, uh, not at all. I believe that you know we can bear witness to God's sovereignty, and we can bear witness to God's love right now by what we do, what we say, where we go, where we don't go, what we participate in, what we don't participate in. I think that at the end of the day is the most persuasive thing, you know. And when I meet people uh, who have been these kinds of people, when I meet people like um, you know C.T. Vivian, God rest his soul, we've talked about him before. I mean, he was so dangerous that the sheriff had to assault him. And he didn't have anything in his hand. All he wanted to do was vote. And what was the most dangerous feature of him was is that he would not be persuaded to hate. And he would not be persuaded to retaliate. And so when I think about those examples, I have to ask myself, so wh- what does that spirit look like in 2023? And, and I think it has everything to do with a steadfastness. And so that's why we want to talk about hope, because there's no better sort of rocket fuel than, you know, a godly hope. Because, if, you know, we're not the people of despair, right? I mean, you know, we, we've, got the, we've got the Red Sea in front of us. Uh, we've got the, you know, the pursuing armies behind us. Somehow God makes a way, right? I mean, we, we, we are those people. We don't know. It's, it's beyond cognition, beyond intellect. But somehow we believe that if we hope in God, God is trustworthy and that somehow God will make a way. It won't be the way I designed Right? God is not taking a whole lot of suggestions, it appears, from Scripture. God is deciding to be who God decides to be. And so our best bet with our life is to throw our lot in with God and to hope in God and see how that, see how that benefits the world. So I, I would just say that. I, 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 think, I think we've gotten, the pendulum has swung a little too far. And, and we've become obsessed uh, with the headlines. But the bottom line is still the bottom line. 
there are hungry people in our midst. Uh, there are people who are getting a, a not so fair shake from the law. Uh, women are still treated like second class citizens. Uh, there is still violence uh, around juveniles uh, uh, who are being forsaken by parents for any kinds of reasons are, are still going feral in our streets and need, they need someone who can love them and advocate for them. I mean, the big things are still the big things. And I think there's plenty of work to do there such that I can't be sort of spending my time obsessively commenting on Facebook or, or <laughs> trying to argue people into some reality. Well, this has been a life-giving conversation for me. <laughs> <laughs> and hope remains, praise God. <laughs> hey, thank, and hope is a gift. That's right. Yeah. Thank you, Bishop. And thank you, listeners, for listening to Four People. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. Please subscribe, leave a review, and we'll be back with you next week. 